Hey, this is Sean Jensen, the lead pastor here at Vail Church, and I'm so excited you chose to check out this message. My prayer is that this message wouldn't just be full of information, but that the Holy Spirit would produce transformation in your life. So wherever and however you're listening today, lean in and enjoy the message. My name is Sean Jensen. I got the privilege of serving as a lead pastor here, and I just want to take a moment real quick. We have an amazing staff, and we have amazing volunteers who are making sure the parking lot was clear, the sidewalks are clear. Can we just thank God for them to make sure that we can meet together here early? We see you. Um, we're so glad for them. Listen, we're going to jump in the message here soon, and if you don't have our Veil app, you can go ahead and pull that out. All of our events are on there, but also the message notes that we're going to jump in here in a second as we continue our series beyond. Uh, but before we do, we have a lot of people joining us online, so we're also going to put our hands together for them too. Let's say hi to them. North Carolina, Arkansas, Colorado, Florida, New York. Listen, Florida sounds great right now. So we're so glad you're joining us. Thank you for coming. We are in week two of a series we're calling Beyond. And if you're new to church, we actually take a moment where we take three, four, five weeks and we talk about this idea. And we are actually circling around this idea called Beyond because it's not just a word we threw out there. We believe it's a word God gave our church for not just now, but for 2024, because I believe God wants to take us places beyond where we currently are. Like we're actually gonna believe that God wants to do more in our life. I, I just wanna be a pastor that leads our church to say this isn't all that God has for us. He still has more in store for us individually and collectively. And so we are just kind of growing our faith into this moment. And last week we talked about the tool when it comes to relationship with God. If we wanna go beyond in our faith, we have to be attached to the one who can take us beyond, that's God. So last week we talked about how we can go beyond our relationship with God. It's on YouTube. But this week, we're going to talk about something that I believe is powerful, and we have to address it if we want to go beyond in our faith, if we want to go beyond in our church, and maybe if we want to go beyond from the place we might be stuck in. And so here's the key verse we've been looking at the next four weeks. It's now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. That's what we talked about last week, that power, the Holy Spirit. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. I love this scripture that we are pulling from. And so we are actually gonna look at another aspect and we're gonna be in the book of Mark. Mark is one of the four gospels we see in the New Testament. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's a gospel of Jesus when he was on earth. Mark wrote this, but Peter was telling him the accounts he had with Jesus, and John Mark is scripting it out for us that we have today. And so in this encounter we're going to learn about was this woman who had a disease for 12 years. She was hopeless and broken, and she was stuck, and it all changed when she came in contact with Jesus. And to be honest with you, that is my hope for some of you today, that there's some things in your life right now that feel like you're stuck, but everything's going to change when you encounter the living God. I hope we come on the weekend experiencing not just a religion here on the weekend, but a relationship with God who can actually pull us from our pits, that can pull us from our trenches. And I believe he's gonna do that for some of us today. And so here's the moment that we see with this woman in Mark. It says, Jesus went with him. Him is Jairus. Jairus had a sick daughter who was 12 years old. He said, Jesus, can you please come and heal her? He goes, sure. And so on his way, a crowd begins to follow Jesus, and this is what takes place. All the people followed, crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them. But she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. 
She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. It's this amazing moment that we see this suffering completely end because of this act of faith. And we're going to unpack the, the tool that's going to take us beyond in this scripture after we pray. So Lord, help us today. Lord, we need your power and we need your help. Thank you for bringing everyone who is here in this room safely. And thank you for those who are online, but they came for a word. And so I pray, Lord, that you would meet them there. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, so if you don't know, I'm, I'm the new guy here. So I'm new. if you're new, I'm new. And so I'm getting used to this. And one of the greatest things that we've experienced since we've come here is all of the gifts you guys have given us. Thank you so much. It's been awesome. We had some friends recently give us a bunch of books that we could read to our kids because they love books. And so we're reading them these new books. And I got to think about some of the books that were read to me when I was a child. And so I kind of brought some of those for nostalgic reasons. I don't know if they're for you or if it's just for me, but I just wanted to see maybe if you read the same books that I was read that were read to me when I was a kid starting with one of my favorites of all time where the sidewalk ends anybody have this book where the sidewalk ends or light in the attic by Shel Silverstein some of you have the giving tree that's the same guy all right so the crazy weird ridiculous poems that don't make any sense and some of you're like that makes sense why you're like you are uh so we'll continue on this is a silent sleeper how about corduroy who remembers corduroy yeah, Corduroy's a big one. He loses his button, right? That's the whole picture of him losing his button. I remember being read this one a lot. I don't know if you've ever heard of this one. This one no one knows about. Uh, green Eggs and Ham. Oh, you've heard of it. Oh, and I'm just kidding. I know you've heard of this one. I was just making sure that if no one knew what Corduroy was, I could bring you back with Green Eggs and Ham. Uh, this is definitely one that was read all the time. It can almost memorize it while it's going to the next page. And then how about this one? The Little Engine That Could. Uh, this photo, this cover could bring nightmares to you. But if you aren't familiar with this story, there's this little engine. If you've never seen Major Pain, I don't advise you to watch it. But there's this moment where this train sees a town in trouble, and they're stuck, and they have to get over a big hill, and they can't make it up the hill. And so what he does, he loads everybody up. And there's this phrase he says as he's trying to overcome this obstacle. If you know it, help me out. You ready? I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. Some of you are like, Sean, we are not children. But you were smiling while you were saying that. I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. And he gets to the top of the hill, goes over the hill, and he gets them to the town and everybody celebrates. And when they get there, he says, I thought I could, I thought I could, I thought I could. It's a great story when it comes to teaching kids about their mindsets. And if I'm honest with us today, if we want to go beyond in 2024, it's going to start with our mindsets. It's going to start with what we're thinking. It's going to start with what's actually in between our ears. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes what's in between these two ears, it's too much to handle. Like if you knew the thoughts I thought, you probably wouldn't want me to be your pastor anymore. And I'm sure you would say the same thing. If we were to just play your thoughts through the audio today, how would that make us feel? But there's a moment in Mark this woman who had the issue with blood, who got healed after 12 years, that I feel like a lot of people overlook. She had faith, Jesus said, that brought her healing. Jesus was the one who healed her, but a lot of people overlook such a prominent point in this woman's struggle that actually led to her healing. 
Let's look at it again. Mark, she had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd, so she pushed through and touched his robe. For she, everyone help me out, thought to herself. She had thought to herself, if I can just get to his robe, I will be healed. Before the freedom, before the healing, before she pushed through the crowd, it started with a thought. And when she thought to herself, she began to work on the outside. She began to move towards Jesus. I just have a question for us today. I wonder how many people are one thought away from freedom in their life. Just one. A thought that could change the trajectory of your life forever. When it comes to our thoughts, when it comes to this one, we need to understand we will head in the direction of our strongest thoughts. We will always head in the direction of our strongest thoughts. And that's exactly what happened in her life. She began to hear about Jesus and she realized she was at her end. And she thought to herself, even though she was hopeless, even though she was broken, even though this was her new normal, she said, if I could just get to Jesus. And she began to move towards Jesus. It was her thought life that put her in the destination she was in. The song, uh, Proverbs, we see Solomon say that for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. The destinations we find ourselves today were the thoughts we thought about yesterday. The place that we find ourselves in today could be because of the thoughts and the train of thoughts that we were going on. And so we need to talk about those things today. Now, before we continue on, I want to just pull out the elephant in the room, and this, here's what it is. So many people think I'm saying this and I'm not saying this. I'm not saying that if you find yourself in a struggle today, if you find yourself in ailment today, if you find yourself in a bad situation today, it's, your, it's because you had wrong thoughts and that's why you're there. That's not what I'm saying. I'm also not saying that if you change your thought today, that whatever ailment or sickness or situation you're in, it's just going to change overnight. I am not saying that either. I can't promise you that. But what I am saying, whether you're in freedom or whether you're in suffering, if you can change your mindset, you can find victory in both. That's what I'm trying to get us to today, that no matter what we walk through, our mindsets can help us walk through that and experience what God wants to take us into, but we're going to have to win the battle in our mind. If we want to go beyond in our lives, we're going to have to win the battle in our mind. Some of us are stuck in our marriage right now because we believe this is as good as it's going to get. This is it. This is what I devoted my life to. He doesn't care about me anymore. She doesn't even like me anymore. My hair fell out. It's a joke, but sometimes it's reality. I don't look good to him anymore. I've had a few kids. I'm stuck, right? Some of us, if we're honest, we have gotten to a point where we're stagnant in our faith and some of us don't even want to approach God because I have messed up too much and I have sinned too great and I knew the way I was supposed to go, but now I'm in this mess. There's no way a loving God could love me and want me back. And so I'll stay away. And some of us aren't stepping into the purposes and plans God has for us because we have believed the lie that we are not worthy enough, that we are not good enough, and there's no way God could use me to do something like that. And so we never step into everything God has for us collectively or individually. And as a church, we need to understand the same thing, that if we want to go beyond where we currently are, we have got to win the battle in our minds. We have to. And Paul knew this. The guy who wrote half the New Testament 
If you're new to faith, there's this guy in the Bible named Paul. You got to understand this word. There's a couple of them, but his name was Saul first, and he changed his name to Paul. And what happened with Saul is he actually used to persecute Christians who preached the gospel. And as he was killing Christians, he had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, and everything changed in that moment. And Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Because he was persecuting the church. By the way, when someone messes with you, they're messing with Jesus. Why do you persecute me? He says, instead, I want you to preach the gospel. After this encounter, Saul is now Paul. He's preaching Christ, planting churches, and he writes half of the New Testament that we have today. And so we just tell people, if there's hope for Paul, there's hope for y'all. Like if God can take a Christian killer and turn him into a church planner, God can take whatever mess and situation we're in and turn you into something great. That's how our God works, but it has to be in our mind. So if there's anybody who dealt with wrong mindsets, it had to have been Paul. Paul had to fight with some things that he did in his past. And so he actually is writing a letter to the church in Corinth, and he's teaching them how to win the battle in their mind. And that's what we're gonna focus on today. I wanna help you win the battle in your mind, looking at what Paul told the church in Corinth how to win their battles in their minds. And this is what he told them. He said, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture the rebellious thoughts and we teach them to obey Christ. There you go. Let's pray. I'm just kidding. I'll tell you what this means. All right. So Paul goes right out. He doesn't hesitate. He jumps right into it to say, hey, listen, I just got to let you know that you're in a war. And if you're new to church and you're new to, to Christ, I just want to let you know there is this thing called spiritual warfare. We believe in heaven. We believe in hell. We believe in God. We believe in the enemy. And we know that God loves you and he has purpose for you. But we also know that the enemy has a purpose for you too. And it's to rob you from the purpose God has for you. And so a lot of times he can't really honestly hurt us in specific times as God protects us, but he can deceive us and he does that with thoughts. And so Paul says, we need to talk about your minds. And, and this war, it's not a human war, it's a spiritual war. And so if it's a spiritual war, we gotta fight different. We gotta take on this battle different. We can't fight this the same way. The self-help books might help a little bit, but they won't bring freedom in your life. That that Instagram account with good advice, it's not God advice and it's not the wisdom you need. He's saying there's gotta be a different way that we fight and we cope with these things. The bottle's not gonna work on this one. The screen time's not gonna work on this one. The escaping's not gonna work on this one. You need something different. So if we wanna win the battle in our mind, we have to understand this. We gotta fight with the right weapons. We have to fight with the right weapons. And Paul does not spend any time getting right to the meat of the issue. He's like, if you're gonna win this, you gotta fight with the right weapons. And what do these weapons do? He says, they demolish and destroy strongholds. Now, I was raised in church, so I already see my grandpa preaching. He was a church planner, and he would say strongholds, and people were like, woo, get him, pastor. But now in 2023, people are like, what the heck is a stronghold, right? Let me just tell you what a stronghold is if you don't know what it is, because if we want to demolish them, we have to know that we have them. A stronghold is a place, it is a fortress where we find comfort. It's the place we run to when we are scared. It's the place we have believed where we find comfort. It can be in our trauma. It can be as a victim. It can be whatever sets itself up against God and his word. It's a stronghold, but the stronghold is actually deeper than that. It's not just something that's easily taken care of. It's deep-rooted. The best way I can explain this is telling you about this journalist. 
who went to Asia. He went to Asia, and while he was there, he saw this 8,000-pound elephant. Actually, he saw a handful of them. And as he looked outside the camp of where these people had these elephants and where they trained them, he saw a bunch of elephants that actually were sitting in one place, and they were not moving, and they were very well trained. As he looked down at their feet, he realized that there was a twine, a piece of rope around this 8,000-pound elephant's ankle. On the other side of that twine, it was attached to this little stick, like a little stake stick in the ground. At any time, this elephant could just boop. And this journalist was so, he was amazed by this idea that this elephant was in captivity, he was staying put, and this whole time, this 8,000-pound elephant just literally needs to move his foot to pull that stick out of the ground, and he would be free. But he remained still. And so he began to ask questions why it got that way. How in the world will that elephant not literally pull that thing out and run for its freedom? And they begin to tell him what happens when this elephant was a baby. You see, the moment an elephant is born, what they do is begin to train it. And so as it begins to get on all fours, what they do is they attach a chain to the elephant's leg. That chain is then attached to a tree stump in the ground or a metal stake into the ground that's a little bit heavier. And so as a baby elephant, it is thrashing and it is pulling and it is yanking and it is doing whatever it can to break free. But every effort it tries to break free, it gets pulled back in defeat. Every effort it gets in pulling away, it gets pulled back and it feels like it has lost. It says so much so that when they would pull away, that there's actually scars and some wounds that are on the full-grown elephant's ankle because when it was thrashing and pulling, the chain would dig into the elephant's skin and it would wound it and cause pain. And so after doing that for so many months or years, it would just give up. And the stake in the ground became a stake in their mind. And now, just a little bit of rope and a stick in the ground will keep them in place. Not because of the stake in the ground, but because of the stake in the mind. Paul would say, this is a stronghold. It's something that from birth, maybe it was verbal abuse from others. Maybe you heard some really harmful things growing up, or maybe you're the one who talks to yourself harmfully. And what you have convinced yourself, you begin to put stakes in the ground in your mind. Maybe just maybe you tried to step out or act out or, or begin to step into everything, but when you did, you were met with pain. Man, you threw yourself out there and maybe you got married and it ended in hurt and pain and suffering. And because of it, you have now got this stronghold in your mind, this fear and this worry. Or maybe a relationship went crazy even though you were vulnerable and then they stabbed you in the back. And so what happens is you were wounded and now you've been set back into that place. And if that happens enough, what happens is a stake gets put in the mind. And even though we have a grave-conquering spirit that we learned about last week that could set us free, we remain in captivity because of the stake that's in our mind. And Paul says, I'm going to give you the weapons to pull those stakes out of the ground. Bill, this is the moment and this is the time we start pulling these stakes out of the ground. In our marriage, it's time to pull some stakes out of the ground. With our addictions, it's time to pull some stakes out of the ground. It's time to stop believing the lie that's keeping us in captivity and start releasing the stronghold so that we can step into freedom and everything God has for us. Paul says it's time to go to battle. It's time to fight with the right weapons. And he says if you're going to uphold these strongholds, you can't do it with alcohol. You, you can't do it with just some good advice. You can't do it with just some self-help books. Now, I'm not against 
self-help books and these things. There's some good stuff in there, but when it comes to spiritual battles, we have to understand we can't demolish spiritual strongholds with physical weapons. And so what are our spiritual weapons? Man, they're so simple, but we learned about one last week. It's God's word, which is called the sword of the spirit for a reason. Paul was not kidding when he said, you need to take your word, which is the sword of the spirit, and you need to start wielding it at these strongholds. You need to start speaking it and learning it and growing in it. We don't just need human wisdom from this world. We need godly wisdom from this book to overcome strongholds in our life. He would continue on. He said, not just that, but it's okay to talk to counselors. I have my own counselor. If you're a counselor in here, we are so grateful for you. Go talk to a counselor, but don't just stop there. Talk to God in prayer. That's your spiritual weapon. And if you're a counselor in here, I would encourage you, if you don't already, to look for ways that you can put God advice into your counseling because good advice can only take us so far, but God advice can set us free from strongholds. So we got to pray. We got, we got to read God's word. And, and here's one that a lot of people overlook. It's one of my favorites, but I've had to learn to love it. It's the singing part. It's like, I don't even know why we spend 18 minutes singing. The first reason why. What, what's the whole point of praise and worship? I know Josh can sing those high notes like way up here. Like my voice is cracking like I'm going through puberty every try I try to match that. I'm like, how does he do that? But that's just not my thing. Did you know that first song we sing that said the lying of Judah, that word Judah means praise? Judah means praise. You see, our whole purpose as Christians is to give God praise of what he's worthy of. But what people misunderstand when it comes to worship and singing is that when we are singing songs to God, it's not just us singing, it's actually war. It's spiritual warfare. There are some supernatural things that God is doing in the midst of worship. I would encourage you next time we're singing that you wouldn't see it as the songs we're singing, but battling the strongholds in your mind. Because what happens is we minimize problems and we magnify God. And when we magnify God, he can pull the strongholds out of our life. And the last thing that Paul was addressing with these people were these people called the Judaizers. That's why he wrote this book, this letter. He said, watch out for these Judaizers. Why? Because they have this thing called intellectualism. Now, Paul was not against intelligence. I'm not against intelligence. I think God gave us a brain and we should use it. It's important. I'm not the guy who's scared of science. I think science talks big about God. I I love it all. But what I am saying is when intelligence gets loftier than God, that's called intellectualism. And Paul said, there's an issue. You have intelligence, but you're putting it above God. And when we think that our intelligence is bigger than God, he says the smartest person on earth is still foolishness to God. He says, so your last weapon is this thing called humility. It means if you want to get over your stronghold, you have to get under the authority of Christ. When we are humble, we can fight. When we are humble, we can win battles. When we are teachable, we can win. It's important to that. So those are your weapons. And so what does Paul continue on to do? He says, now that you got your weapons, now you got to catch these rebellious thoughts. You got to be intentional. You have to go after these things. That's what he says in the scripture. He says, we capture the rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Why? Because he says, these things are obstacles to knowing God, experiencing God. The whole purpose we're here is to know God deeper and more intimate as we grow with him. And he says, there's going to be things that stand the way. A.W. Tozer said, he said, what we think about when we hear about God is the most important thing about us because it will either determine if we run to God in hardship or blame God in hardship. It will determine where we find ourselves. And so anything standing in the way 
we have to navigate that. And so Paul doesn't say ignore. He says capture. I got to talk about this because this is my cup of tea. I don't know about you, but I have a, a really bad strategy when it comes to thoughts in my mind when I'm fighting these things. Because I don't know about you, but I still fight as a pastor with these thoughts. Just this week, I was trying to convince myself of negative things. And so Paul says, you got to capture, not ignore. But what I tend to do is just ignore them. Like my philosophy is, if I ignore it, maybe it will go away. Does anybody have kids in here? Does that work with them? If I just ignore it, now we're not ignoring you kids. Don't, don't let your parents tell you that. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is so many times, they're like, no, it's okay. We try to ignore our parents. It's whatever. So... What I'm trying to say is that when we ignore them, they don't leave. They actually get stronger. And so Paul says, I'm not telling you to ignore these things. I'm telling you to capture these things. Don't let them run wild. You got to take these things and you got to take them captive. That word capture, it's a strong word. It means you got to find it and you got to capture that thing. You got to tie it up. You got to interrogate it. I think about this. I have a nine-year-old, an eight-year-old, and a three-year-old, uh, all girls. And so we have lots of princesses and lots of tea parties. Um, and so my youngest is wild, y'all. Like, I thought our middle was wild. I don't know what happened, like, throughout the, like, lineage here. But I was like, let's, let's go for the boy. And we did not get the boy, but we got wild child. Uh, we have new neighbors since we moved in. And I literally had to talk to them a couple weeks ago. I said, hey, if you just see our three-year-old, like, out on the sidewalk, could you just like grab her for us? Because somehow she got out of the house. We got alarms and everything. We're not bad parents, y'all. Like, she's just crazy. We were at my brother's house uh, and we were in the backyard and he has no fence and he's in a subdivision. So there's houses around and, and roads and, and all of her cousins were jumping on a trampoline and she was off. And she's about 15 to 20 feet away from me. And you know those moments where like they're kind of doing something and they slow down and they look at you? Uh, let me just look this way so you can see what this looks like. They go, she was just like this. And in my mind, I looked at her and said, don't you even think about it. <laughs> like, I didn't say it out, for, out, out loud, but I was trying to, like, send it from my brain to hers. <laughs> and I just saw her. And you saw her legs get ready. And so I had to go down in, like, linebacker position. Like, she's going to take off. Like, I knew it before it even happened. And sure enough, I'm waiting. And then she's just like, and goes. Like, she's gone. By the time she goes, she's already in the neighbor's yard. I'm running full speed, and she's running through people's yards, running by the road. I'm like, oh my gosh, Lord Jesus, like, help me. And I'm running full speed before I snatch her up and grab her, and she's just laughing, and I'm like, I ain't laughing. <laughs> I'm literally going to myself like, people are watching, people are watching, people are watching. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, is that the veil pastor, the new guy? <laughs> running through the neighborhood, screaming. And in that moment, I capture why. Because she was a wild child. She was rebellious. She was running away from her father. And Paul says, we got to do the same thing with our thoughts. We got to think about what we're thinking about. And the moment it starts to take off, you better get that thing in captivity before it ruins your life. You better get that thing. And you better capture that thing. And you better grab it. Whatever that looks like in your mind. And you know it's against God's word. And you know it's a crazy thought. He says, don't ignore it capture it, and then number three, train your mind. Train your mind. I don't know if you caught this, but he didn't just say capture it. In, in 2 Corinthians, he said capture it and then teach it. Capture the thought and then teach it to what? Obey Christ. A rebellious thought is disobedient to Christ, but he says you got to teach it to obey it. 
You better believe when I was walking back to the house with my three-year-old child, I was trying to teach her why it's important to listen to her father. I was taking this as a learning moment. I didn't just capture her and go, okay, do it again. No, no, no. I captured it, I caught her, and then I taught her. And Paul says, there's gonna be some thoughts in your mind that you gotta capture, but then you got to intentionally teach it to be obedient to Christ. You gotta train it. So what does this look like practically, Sean? What does that mean? It means that if you're married in here, and you're at your job place, and you have this thought that pops in that says, if I just slightly flirt with this coworker, oh, just church, should we not talk about that stuff? Like, that doesn't happen with church people, does it? I have found out that people don't just wake up one day and go, you know what, today sounds like a good day to have an affair. No, it happens one thought at a time. And so when that thought comes up, I wonder if I just flirt, if they would show me some, like, flirting back. He says, now you capture that thing, and then you train it, and you say, this thought is not from God. And Lord, I know I made a covenant between me and my spouse. And I know it might be rough right now. And I know it might be tough. But I know that the, the purpose of marriage, even though it can bring happiness, the purpose is holiness. And we need to figure this thing out. And I know the enemy wants me to believe that the grass is greener on the other side. Holy Spirit, can you help me water the grass I'm already in so it gets green? I'm gonna capture it. I'm gonna teach it. Maybe you suffer from dealing with pornography. I had a 12-year pornography issue, addiction. I've been free from it now the last 14 or 12 years by God's grace. But that doesn't mean that there's some rebellious thoughts that try to come in, some instant gratification thoughts, some negative thoughts, some, oh, I'm just gonna run this way, or oh, I'm, I'm alone, or here comes a trigger. I don't know where you are, but you gotta capture it. And what you gotta do, you gotta teach it. You gotta say, you know what? Right now, I know that my flesh wants instant gratification. It's trying to convince me that right now is the best thing, but these are my feelings talking. Lord, I know that you are the bread of life. That's what your word says. And you give, you quench our soul. You say, whoever is thirsty, they can come to you. And so my soul needs you and my spirit needs you and nothing in this world can sustain me and fulfill me like you can sustain me and fulfill me. Be my sustainer. Teach it. Maybe you're here and you're beating yourself up with negative self-talk. I know, God, you're asking me to go beyond. You're asking me to step into these places at my workplace or wherever I am. But have you seen me? I'm a C average student. Have you seen my grades? Have you seen who I am? Have you heard how I talk? Have you seen how tall I am, how short I am? Have you seen my body image? Have you seen these things? You begin to say, I'm worthless. Look how people teach me or look at me and I'm insecure. He says, capture that. And he says, now teach it. God's word says that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. That he actually saw me before I was born and he had a place and a purpose for me on this earth. And so if he placed me in this position, then he will keep me in this position and he will use me in spite of my flaws. And when I am weak, he is strong. I will capture it and I will train it up to God's word. Why? Because we can't live a victorious life with a defeated mind. If we want victory today, we have got to not just fight with spiritual weapons. We got to capture the rogue thoughts and we got to train them to be learned, taught like Christ. And so if you need a framework on what that looks like, Paul, while in jail, writes a book to the church of Philippi. And in there, he says, here's things you can think on. 
Here's things to remind yourself. If you're trying to line these things off, you have to ask yourself. He goes, and dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you have learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then he goes, then the God of peace will be with you. Here's the, here, here it is, then the God of peace. He says, the God of peace will be with you, but he says, first and foremost, we have to fix our thoughts. It's a potential promise. We want the peace of God, but we don't want to fix our thoughts. He says, when you fix your thoughts, you will see the peace of God. And so Paul's saying, when it comes to our mindset, we need to learn how to leash our mind. You got to leash it to these promises. I think this is a good opportunity to introduce you to my dog, Bear. Don't. No, he is not that. <laughs> Bear is anything but all. I get it. Did you notice that as I took this picture, he had his leash on? Because when he was a few months old, I decided he's trained pretty well. He's a good dog. And we were a little ways from my house. I was like, he'll walk over to the house. So I unleashed him. Worst decision ever. He booked it. Ran in circles, ran through the street, ran onto people's porches, jumped in their bushes, chased squirrels. I'm out of breath running after him. I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is it. He was too expensive for them to get hit by a car. And I love him too. I'm not saying that. I don't want him to get hit by a car. It sounded terrible. That's not what I meant. In that moment I did, but not now. I finally got him and I leashed him up. And I was just like, oh my gosh. And he has not been off that leash since. Because <laughs> I found out that Bear is actually safest and more free when he is restrained. I have found out that his restraint produces more freedom in his life. Contrary to culture in 2023 that says live your best life, live the life you want to, live the true you, whatever that looks like, just do what you want to do, whatever feels right, I would say that is the way you can get bound. I'm just going to be free. That's the way to bondage. I would say the best way to live free in 2024 is to leash your mind with God and his word. Because sometimes the strongest freedom comes from the strongest restraint. And so whatever is true, whatever is admirable, whatever is honorable, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is excellent, I'm going to leash my thoughts to this word. Why? Because that's where I'm going to find freedom. Can I encourage you? If you want to go beyond in 2024, if you want to go beyond in our life, we have to first win the battle in our mind. We need to learn to leash our minds. And that's how we can win. Listen, it's a war won one battle at a time. But I believe God can give you the strength to do it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this word. I pray right now, Father God, for those who are just kind of ruminating on that word, they're kind of looking at these thoughts right now. Lord, we know we get tired sometimes. We don't even want to intentionally fight these thoughts, but by your spirit, we can. And so we need the power we talked about last week to overcome the strongholds that we're talking about this week. And so, Lord, when we are weak and we are tired, I pray, Father God, that you would be our strength. I pray, Father God, Lord, as we navigate these moments, that we would trust in you, that we would look to you. And Lord, I know, Father God, that you care for everyone in this room and online. And so I pray right now, Father God, that you would expose those thoughts that are running rogue and that you would help them capture them and line them up with your word. I pray we would fight with the right weapons, Lord. And we thank you for that. 
We're so grateful for you. In Jesus' name, with eyes remaining closed, if you're here, and you may be like that woman that we talked about in the beginning, you don't have an issue with blood, you may not have a disease, but you are far from God. And you have convinced yourself, if I could just get to Jesus, if I could just get back to that relationship, or if I could just start that relationship, I believe he knows exactly what I need. I need that freedom in my life. Here's the issue. We already talked about it. Our sin separates us from a good and loving God. It's our decision to change our back on him. But it was his decision to love us and send his son to die for that decision. And so the cross we deserve, Jesus took to pay our debt once and for all. But we have to put our trust in him to receive that free gift of grace. What is grace? It's the unmerited favor of God on our life, meaning we don't deserve the life he gives us. We deserve death. But because he died, we can live. If you need a relationship with Christ, you have to put your faith in him right now. And we do that by confessing with our mouth that he is the son of God, our savior. And so I'm gonna pray a prayer that you can pray right now. This is your moment between you and God to start a relationship with Christ, a brand new start. You can pray this prayer. You say, Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place. Forgive me for my mistakes. Forgive me for my sins. I chose the mistake. I chose the sin. And you chose to die for me. Thank you for paying my penalty, past, present, and future. I put my trust in you. I put my hope in you. And I'm deciding to follow you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you prayed that prayer in this room right now, I'm gonna do something real quick. It might feel uncomfortable, but it's gonna take courage and boldness. We are not gonna embarrass you. We're not gonna ask you to leave your seat. But what we wanna do as a church is we wanna celebrate you. You are part of the family of God. You made the best decision in your life. And this moment might take a little bit of courage, but it's gonna be well worth it. It's gonna be a stake in the ground with your journey. In a couple moments, I'm gonna ask you to lift up your hand if you prayed that prayer, and here's why. Because we're gonna celebrate and we're gonna get you a gift. And that gift's gonna help you with your walk with Christ. It's a gift that we need to put in your hands so you know exactly the decision you made and how you can continue to walk faithfully with Christ. So if that's you at the count of three, I just want you to throw up your hand and one of our hosts will get you a gift. One, Jesus loves you. Two, he dies again. Three, if you're in here and you said, I prayed that prayer for the first time, I made that decision, could you make sure to put your hand up high so that we can see you until we get you a box? Anyone in here today? Anyone in here? We want to make sure we have your time. I see you right there. They're coming right there. Can we give it up for these people right here who made that first step? Come on, let's thank God for them. Anybody else? I see some people right here. Come on, let's give up. I see you. I see you. I see you. Come on, church. We got people responding all over. I see you. I see you. Come on, let's thank God for those people who made that choice today. We hope this message challenged you, encouraged you, and most of all, brought you closer to a loving God who wants nothing but the best for you. If you have any questions about taking next steps in your faith journey, simply text NEXT to 309-777-0677. Everyone has a next step, and here at Vail, we would love to walk alongside you. If this message was impactful to you, we encourage you to share it. To stay connected to everything Vail Church, feel free to subscribe. Visit our website at vail.church and follow our socials on Instagram and Facebook. Lastly, for all of those who call Vail Church home, let's remember, worship faithfully, connect intentionally, give generously, and serve sacrificially. We'll see you next week.